As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. How old were you when you were approached to go see Jeffrey? Um... We were 17. 17. 16 or 17. Okay. Every girl that meets Jeffrey starts off with giving him a massage. The more you do with him, the more you make. Basically, if you take off your clothes, you're going to make more. If you let him do things to you, you're going to make more. Who else was underage? Out of all these. Underage, what do you mean? Like under like, 18. Under 18? All of them. All of them. Welcome to episode five of Epstein, Devil in the Darkness. I'm your host, Danielle Robay. What you have just heard is an actual recording of a witness interview by investigators from the Palm Beach Police, the first police force to investigate Jeffrey Epstein's abuses. The recordings were buried for decades. But now, in this episode, we will be hearing the full truth about what happened to these girls in their own words. I should warn you now that some of what they have to say is pretty disturbing. He offered you more money to get naked? Well, he told me just to take my shirt off. I was just scared that he was going to do something. Victims like these young girls were spread out around the country and across decades. As we explore the massive scale of Epstein's international sex trafficking ring, we will hear from Alicia Arden, a woman who claims Epstein sexually assaulted her in California back in 1997. We also will listen to extracts from the handwritten diary of victim Virginia Roberts as she describes how the billionaire paid her to have sex with his powerful and influential friends in the early 2000s. Here, her words are spoken by an actor. We got back to Ghislaine's house around 4 p.m. and unpacked our goodies from the shopping day. I ran straight upstairs to have a shower and prepare for my evening ahead. Ghislaine made it very apparent I needed to be very bubbly and energetic for our special guest tonight, as she told me he was expecting me and needed to be royally entertained. I had already known what that meant. Jeffrey had previously sent me on weekend dates to entertain his friends. Sometimes at his island, Little St. James in the Caribbean, to meet an award-winning professor from Harvard or at his ranch in Santa Fe to meet one of his fellow stockbrokers. Never the same and rare in between the time I spent with Jeffrey, but still belittling. By the 90s and early 2000s, Jeffrey Epstein seemed to have it all. He had made a fortune on Wall Street, owned massive properties across the country, had his own private Caribbean island, and flew in a private Boeing 727 jet. He was friends with the world's most powerful men, including Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, and Britain's Prince Andrew. 
But because of that wealth and power, he began to believe that he was above the law. And he began to create a complicated system that enabled him to sexually abuse dozens of young women. Victims later described the never-ending cycle of abuse to police in Palm Beach. How many girls have you brought to? Oh, um, a lot. A lot. Those are all the girls that I brought, but the, right. remember, those girls brought other girls too. Oh, okay. So okay. It's, like, it's like a train. It's like I you introduce bring, them to all my it. friends. Okay, and so then you say you brought so and they. She'll bring her friends, and then she'll bring her friends. It goes on and on like that. One victim, caught in Epstein's grasp at the time, was Virginia Roberts, a troubled 16-year-old former runaway from Palm Beach, Florida, who was working at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago Resort when she met Ghislaine Maxwell. Here's investigative journalist Melissa Cronin, who's been exposing Epstein's abuses since 2014. Virginia has always said that Ghislaine was kind of like her sexual Svengali. She found her, introduced her to Jeffrey Epstein, and groomed her to services every need. She's even said that Ghislaine and her cohorts taught her how to perform oral sex. It probably seemed like a good deal at the time because Virginia came from a really rough upbringing. She had been homeless in different periods and these people were giving her what seemed like a golden ticket out of a difficult life. She says that they promised her that they would train her to receive a certificate in massage therapy, kind of giving her away into a new world. But we all know it didn't turn out like that. It was the beginning of years of hell for the innocent teenager, as she was groomed to become Epstein's personal sex slave. In this extract from her diary, she describes the intense confusion and desperation she felt as she realized she was trapped. As a young girl growing into my teenage body, I still felt awkward, you know, big feet, freckles, and body hair. They're just not the things you want when you watch movies and read magazines with nothing but perfection on every scene and page. But the way the men adored me and others like me kind of made me feel like we weren't so awkward after all. That was the nice side to these predators. The other side was learning to accept money to degrade ourselves morally to end up another lost girl down a long chain of statutory rape victims. Virginia was to become a constant fixture by Epstein and Ghislaine's side, the three of them forming what she later described as a kind of dysfunctional family. Deidre Stratton, who recruited massage therapists for Epstein at his New Mexico ranch, remembers meeting teenage Virginia on the property. At the time, you know, she was like a Barbie doll. She was young and perfect. And she told my son at the time when she was there that she was 17. She was gorgeous at that time when she was quite young. And I remember her coming back from Paris, a trip to Paris with them, and she had these, that was when low-cut jeans first came out, and she had these really low-cut, well-fitted jeans, and then these um, lace thong, you know when thong panties came out and the thong straps were up above her hip bone? So that's what you saw, was the thong panty. Here she was, this beautiful, young girl with all this potential and look what Jeffrey and Gillen chose to do with it. Deidre says that by then, Virginia had learned to play the role her captors wanted, even as she was dying inside. 
she never indicated any distress to me. But I felt she kind of acted like she was Cinderella as well. Look at her good fortune in being able to be dressed in the best Parisian stuff. I don't know if she was paid. She was obviously manipulated and disused. And that's, that's what I hate. It was at Epstein's Palm Beach mansion, however, where he gave full reign to his perversions, actively recruiting so-called massage therapists on what would become an industry, paying each of them to recruit new girls. By the early 2000s, Palm Beach police were starting to look into the terrifying rumors. What you're about to hear is chilling footage from Palm Beach police interviews with some of his teenage victims. She told me about this guy I was short on that one month. And she told me that all I had to do was give him a massage and he would give me $200. I thought about it. I was like, I really need the money. I asked my parents. They can't give me the money. I asked everyone I knew. And I went there with her. I gave him a massage. And it was it was a weird situation. I didn't make it, but I wouldn't like let him touch me or anything like that. So after that, he's like, you know what? He's like, listen, I'll pay you $200 for every girl that you bring to me. He's like, I don't want you to massage me anymore. You know, just bring girls to me. So that's the other way you can make money. Is like, for every girl that you bring to the table, so for every girl that I brought to Jeffrey, I would make $200 flat. That's what, that was one of Jeffrey's rules. He had a problem with girls coming to the house that didn't know what they were getting into. He would tell me, you know, make sure these girls know what I expect. Make sure they know what they want, because when I get in that room, I don't want them to, you know, they need to know. Okay. Did, did Jeff know anybody's real true age, or he didn't care? I don't think he cared. He told me the younger the better. True crime, mysteries, trying to get to the heart of stories that have more questions than answers is my passion. I feel compelled. It's like moving the pieces of a puzzle together. With each connection, I see more of the bigger picture. That's why I like to play Best Fiends. Best Fiends is an exciting puzzle that challenges your brain while not being too difficult. Perfect for any kind of downtime, Best Fiends lets you collect adorable characters as the story advances from level to level, and you don't need an internet connection to play. Plus, they're always putting out new themed challenges, so the game is never boring. I find myself playing Best Fiends whenever I have downtime. With over 100 million downloads, I'm clearly not the only one who's obsessed. As more of my family and friends have started playing, we've gotten into some pretty friendly competitions surrounding our progress in the game, and I'm determined to come out on top. I love that it's a fun reason to keep our text chains going while we're social distancing, too. Start playing today. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already, with new levels, events, and characters added every month. It's hours of fun right at your fingertips. And you can even play online. With over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. One of the things I love about true crime is that the further you dig into a story, the more layers you uncover. That's part of what I love about the puzzle game Best Fiends, too. The more I play, the more fun it gets. 
Best Fiends is the perfect mix of challenging and fun without being frustrating. It really is unlike any other puzzle game out there. One you get to take part in that's filled with cute characters that you collect as you go. Plus, you don't need the internet to play, so you don't need to worry about using Wi-Fi or cell data to jump into the game. I really love how the game gives me the power to choose my team of fiends for every level. It's like I'm a coach and I'm in charge of picking the best players to help me win. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already, with new levels, events, and characters added every month. It's hours of fun right at your fingertips, and you can even play offline. With over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Attorneys Lisa Bloom and Gloria Allred are now representing some of Epstein's victims in ongoing civil cases. They explain why Epstein's crimes against those girls were so vile. So first of all, we know from brain research that actually the brain isn't fully formed until age 25. And until that time, young people do not appreciate the long-term consequences of their actions. They tend to have poor impulse control and they tend to be very naive. A 17-year-old girl generally does not recognize the danger of something like, hey, come to this rich guy's house and just give him a massage for a couple hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. They don't have the life experience and the sophistication to say, uh, gee, there's a lot of red flags here. I probably shouldn't do it, right? Mm -hmm. They are, tend to be very trusting and believing and naive and say, okay, you know, I'll give it a try. Maybe I'll make a couple hundred dollars. That's very exciting. Even though some may say, well, some of the teens consented, as a matter of law, a child that is a minor under the age of 18 cannot legally consent. In other words, even if factually they say they consent, that is not recognized as a matter of law as a valid consent. It is a crime to sexually abuse them. Under 18, you're not able to sign contracts or buy a house or have a job without your parents' signature or, you know, a lot of things. You can't certainly can't drink until you're 21 most places. And there's good reason for that. Mm -hmm. So for anybody to say, well, oh, she's 17, she's almost 18, you know, you're really missing the point. Although some of the victims were over 18, there were others as young as 14, according to allegations. And no matter their age, what Epstein did to them for years without impunity, was truly the height of evil. The full truth did not come out until police released their victim interviews many years later. Please be warned, some of what you're about to hear is upsetting. I told her, you know, this guy Jeffrey, she came to me saying she needed money, da 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 I basically told her about it. She was like, um, you know, what do you have to do? I told her, I was like, you're going to have to take, you know, you're going to, in order to make money, you're going to have to go up there, you're going to take your clothes off. She gave him a massage and she basically let him like touch her down there. We got into the car and I was like, how much did you make? She's like 300. And I looked at and I just knew right then she did more. And well, I, just a massage, right? Yeah. I, I asked her, I was like, well, uh, what would you do? She's like, well, I started giving him a massage and then my clothes came off and, you know, he put his fingers inside me. 
Spencer Coven is a Florida attorney who represented many Florida victims in their first civil case against Jeffrey Epstein back in 2008. He says that Epstein deliberately targeted vulnerable girls from disadvantaged backgrounds. What's important to understand about Royal Palm Beach High School, if you do not live in the Palm Beach County area, Royal Palm Beach High is in, I guess, an underprivileged area of the county. There are many people that live in that area of the county that are living either at poverty level or below the poverty level. A lot of the young girls that were preyed upon by Mr. Epstein and and his recruiters came from that lower socioeconomic community, where at the time, $300 to a young girl who could barely buy herself a purse, makeup, new shoes, or anything, was really a lot of money. Epstein's apparent need for a constant supply of teenage girls was not limited to his Florida residents. In New York, where the financier had a lavish townhouse in the Upper East Side, his chauffeur, speaking here under condition of anonymity for fear of his own safety, remembers how Epstein's activities began to raise suspicions and concerns. The young girls, all the girls, we were picking up different girls. One time he came, with, he was with two girls. I assumed they were, you know, relatives, nieces, or I didn't think anything of it at the time, you know, because I guess they were about, I, I don't know, I think she's 16, 17 years old, they look like, you know, they, these girls today, they look older than they are, but, you know, we took him and these two girls to his apartment on uh, 71st Street, and like I said, I thought it was his nieces or something, you know, or his daughters, uh, you know, because at that time, nobody even had a clue what was going on. But as time went on, myself and other drivers assumed something was fishy because we kept picking up these teenage girls and, you know, he couldn't have that many nieces. We would take them, sometimes take them there to the apartment and we were told to wait two, three hours and then drive them back to the plane. Epstein was a monster hiding in plain sight. Journalist Laura Goldman moved in Epstein's social circles at the time he was perpetrating his abuses. Everybody knew that he was looking for young girls, but I didn't realize, one, that they were young, and I didn't, that young, and I didn't realize that he was trafficking them. Epstein's chauffeur had a similar interpretation. And now, his failure to stop the abuse haunts him to this day. Like I said before, the girls today, they look older than they are, but I would say that they were, you know, at most 17 tops. They were very young. They were, you know, dressed casual. It was one time was in the winter. They had, you know, the coat, the fleece coats with the fur and, you know, they just seemed like your normal average teenagers. You know what I mean? That's what made, led us to believe in the beginning that they were relatives because they were just normal like kids. They weren't, you know. You would never suspect them to be involved in this deal, that's for sure. You know, it was very strange, you know, but like I say, you know, you're working, you do what you're told, and uh, when we finally had enough, we started saying we didn't want to do it anymore. We didn't want to pick up these people because we thought we were getting involved in something that could possibly mean trouble for us down the road. So I didn't see it at the time because I wasn't aware but now that it's come out, I can put the pieces together and see that, that what was happening. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, how could you have so many of these girls coming and going, young, you know, teenagers, 
coming and going out of there. I mean, if we just dropped them off and left them there and picked them up in two weeks, you say, ah, well, maybe it's his knee sort of. But when you're dropping them off for two hours and driving them right back, something's up. What are they going there for? You know, why, where are they flying from? You know, it's, so now that you look at the picture, it's like, wow, this really was happening. It definitely was happening. And it's a shame. It was garbage. I mean, it was terrible. I mean, now looking back, I mean, when I saw him do that, it wasn't, it, it looked like, you know, playful. Didn't look like any, like I said, it was his niece or his daughter or a, a relative. But now when you find out all that happened, you say, you know, where, where, you know, this guy was a real piece of garbage. I mean, you know, how could you do that to these young girls? That's a shame. We will be hearing more about just what the chauffeur saw in the next episode. But meanwhile, could Epstein have been stopped years before his scheme of sex abuse reached such an extensive scale? Alicia Arden, a model who filed a police report against Epstein back in 1997, says the authorities ignored her claims, allowing Epstein to continue his spiral into depravity. I'm Alicia Arden, and I'm a victim of Jeffrey Epstein. Arden was an up-and-coming model back in 1997 when she was put in touch with Epstein by a mutual friend who said he was looking for models for Victoria's Secret. Epstein's client, Les Wexner, of course, owned the company. I called him and I, he told me to send my pictures to him and his address is in my police report, his phone numbers. So he told me to send it to his apartment in New York. And at the time, I was excited. I thought I was really going to get a picture or job in the Victoria's Secrets catalog because he told me that he worked for that. And then I was like, this is great because I was excited that I had kind of a, a hookup where I'm not really going to go on an audition with a sea of girls. I'm just going to get a picture in the catalog because my friend met him and my friend said, you know, he said you should call him to get work. But instead of a typical audition in an office with several executives on hand, Arden found herself meeting Epstein at his suite at Shutter's Resort in Santa Monica. So he called me and said he got the pictures and they were great and he's going to have a woman named Kimberly, his secretary, call me and I put her name in my police report as well to set up a time. So she did and she said he was coming out there to Santa Monica, California. And would you like to meet him in the afternoon or the evening? It's not normal for someone to call me and say, we're gonna meet in a hotel room. I have been on auditions in hotels, but there's other people. And you know that the casting is there. There's like a sign at the door and you have to sign in. And I'm there with a lot of other people. But I didn't think that I, that there was gonna be other people there that day. I thought, this is a hookup, this is a major in to getting in the Victoria's Secrets catalog because my friend met him and then the secretary's calling me and he's already seen my pictures, so he likes me. Soon, Arden realized that her dreams of a catalog shoot would not be coming true as their meeting in the hotel room turned seedy. So he wanted me to come closer to him and he said, well, let me see your hips and your 
in your butt. And he was just starting to look at me and, and he said, well, let me man, I need to manhandle you. So I came closer to him and he was touching my chest and my stomach and, and then moved down to my hips and my butt. And he was kind of like evaluating my body. And then he started to lift up my skirt and kind of assisting me about undressing and wanting to take off my top. And I, I just thought, this is not, you don't do this in a normal audition at all. So I started to feel uncomfortable. And I just thought, I have to get out of here before anything really bad happens. Arden filed a police report, but after police called Epstein and he denied her allegations, any investigation was dead in the water, and Epstein was free to continue his abuses. I feel that the police department kind of messed up because it could have saved a lot of heartache from these girls being physically raped. I was touched and manhandled and not physically uh, penetrated, I guess you would say. I left before I felt any of that could happen. But I feel that they dropped the ball. They could have saved a lot of hardship with these girls. And, and now it's just, it's so upsetting. Epstein soon began widening his world of evil, still abusing teenage girls for his own sick pleasure. He also began to pimp out his favorite, Virginia, to gain favor and leverage with his powerful friends. In this extract from her private diary, exclusively obtained by the producers of this podcast, an actor reads Virginia's words, describing an encounter in London in March 2001. Prince Andrew has denied that any of this ever happened. The knock came at the door just after six o'clock in the early evening. Ghislaine appeared at ease when she greeted him at the door. She led him down a short hall and into the room where we were waiting. She introduced us all, and as in English customs, we kissed each other's cheeks. We all sat down for a tea and some biscuits, conversing in idle talk. Ghislaine knew well of his ex-wife, Ferguson, whom they called Fergie, and began slandering anything from her weight to how she dressed. They spoke kindly of his daughters. As he spoke, he appeared to be a doting father to two girls, the eldest only being five years my junior. The conversation turned to me next, starting with Ghislaine playing the Guess My Age game, which was one of her favorites among her morally impaired friends, as she was able to brag about the significantly young woman in their company in a comedic way, instead of it coming off as sick. He guessed 17, and Ghislaine chuckled, she'll be too old soon, and told him I was really only 16. Every year making a significant difference among these conscious free individuals. Virginia's account explains how the foursome went out for dinner before hitting Tramp nightclub. We were led into the VIP section where Andrew did not hesitate to grab us both an alcoholic cocktail and found a table in the corner of the extremely packed club. We took a few sips and then headed to the dance floor. He was the most incredibly hideous dancer I had ever seen, and not to mention how embarrassing it was to have to be the one he was smashing pelvics with, even if he was a prince. We only stayed at the club for a little over an hour before His Highness was dripping from sweat and ready to embark to another quieter setting where we could get to know each other better 
And from the way he was fondling me on the dance floor, I knew that was a man's polite way of saying he wanted to intimately get acquainted. I was so anxious getting back to Ghislaine's townhouse, overwhelmed also by the hefty weight on my shoulders to make the prince satisfied. This was as far away as enjoyable as it could get. Ghislaine and Jeffrey seemed well pleased at the attention that I was doting on the prince and snapped a photo of us together before dispersing into separate directions. Virginia's diary then describes in explicit detail a sexual encounter between her and the prince, first in the bath and then on her bed. Her final sentences are heartbreaking. The entire affair was short-lived. When his climax was achieved, he was not the same attentive guy I had known for the last few hours. Instead, quickly got dressed, said his goodbyes, and slipped out of my bedroom to the driver, still waiting for him outside. I was relieved to see the event come and pass, knowing I appeared to be everything Jeffrey and Ghislaine had trained me up to be, but a far cry from who I wanted to be. Virginia finally escaped Epstein's clutches at age 19, when the pedophile sent her to Thailand, ostensibly to pick up an official masseuse certificate, but also, she says, to bring him back, quote, a little Thai girl. She never returned. Here's reporter Melissa Cronin. Instead of going back to him, Virginia ran away to Australia with the man who's now her husband. She says when she called Epstein to tell him she was not coming back, he simply said to her, have a nice life, and hung up the phone. We may never know the true scale of Jeffrey Epstein's horrifying network of sex abuse of teenage girls. Following his arrest in July on sex trafficking charges and subsequent death a month later, attorneys Gloria Allred and Lisa Bloom say that they have been approached by many girls who were previously too scared to come forward. All of my clients allege that they were underage victims of Mr. Epstein. One alleges, and this is from her statement that I read in court for her at her request, that she was trafficked from Texas to New Mexico to Mr. Epstein's ranch, that the stated purpose of her being taken from Texas to New Mexico was that she would play the violin for Mr. Epstein and be compensated for that. And of course, to a teenager, especially a vulnerable one like my client, who needed compensation, that sounded like a good offer. Of course, when she got there, it wasn't what she thought it was going to be. Uh, and she was sexually victimized on more than one occasion. My two clients were both young models who gave up modeling, largely as a result of their incidents with Jeffrey Epstein. I've seen pictures of them from back in the day. They were absolutely gorgeous. There's no reason why they couldn't have been successful models. That was stolen from them. I also read the statement of a woman who alleged that a booker indicated that she should go to Mr. Epstein's home and that somehow he could help her to achieve her dream of becoming a Victoria's Secret model. That's not what happened when she went to his home. And she alleges that, that there was a massage table. And in any event, without going into the details, that she ran out of there, that he did grab for her private parts, but she ran out. There have been a lot of tears shed. I look forward to getting in front of a court and presenting evidence of the harm that this sexual abuse did to them. 
I also have a client who was a victim of Mr. Epstein and who definitely was sex trafficked by him to various places. She will, in her own voice, in her own words, at some other point, speak about what happened to her. But I will say that she certainly has a great deal of knowledge about Mr. Epstein and some people who were in his inner circle and she was taken advantage of, as they all were. Ultimately, it is those girls' words and the words of all of his victims that will remain as Epstein's true legacy, a legacy of evil. He had a towel over his private parts and he was just laying on a table and I was just massaging him down for about 45 minutes. 10 minutes before we were getting ready to leave, he asked her to leave because we were in the room together. And all I had to do was massage his chest and that's it. He had the towel on him. And about five minutes into it, he took the towel off and he started pleasing himself, which I was very uncomfortable with. Like, I wanted to leave right when I got there. Okay. I'm sorry, I don't like thinking back on the so... I told her that I didn't want to be left alone with someone because I was molested when I was 12. So just like that was me being alone. Like right now, I'm kind of uncomfortable. So and I told her that I'm like, you know, I'm not going if you're not going to be in the room with me. And I was unaware that I was going to be alone with him for that 10 minutes. And I thought I was going to die. Next time on Epstein, Devil in the Darkness, Jeffrey Epstein's former staffers reveal his twisted secret world for the very first time. I often think there was this picture on Glenn Maxwell's desk of Jeffrey when he was like in college, and he was the ugliest troll you have ever seen. Just really gnarly looking. And I, I've always thought, well, maybe this proclivity for, you know, sex three times a day, no matter how you can get it, was to compensate for him being such a not so pretty child. That's my theory. One time, I got, we got the call that we should go pick up a, a girl. They didn't say a girl, they said, well, you got to ride, you got to go to Newark, New Jersey, and pick up this woman named Veronica. I said, okay, here's the address, they gave me the address. Now, I, I'm from New Jersey, I know the area, and I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of strange that he would want, you know, why would I be picking up someone from that neighborhood to bring to his apartment, you know, it was just didn't make sense. So I went down there and I pulled up and they gave me the apartment number. I went to the door, I caught, the girl came out. It was a young African-American girl. Epstein, Devil in the Darkness is narrated by me, Danielle Robay, executive produced by Dylan Howard and Melissa Cronin and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson, Andy Tillett, and Robert Dixter. The series is written by Dominic Utton. Reporting by Aaron Tinney and Doug Montero. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitt and Sam Ada. There is so much more to this story, and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to Epstein, Devil in the Darkness, wherever you get podcasts.